Greetings, Embers, and welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. If you enjoy what you are hearing and would like to buy me a coffee as a special thank you or become a member, those links can be found down below. Also, if you're new here and enjoy what you're hearing or have been here and haven't done so yet, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment. Not only does it help the channel out, but it also reminds you of every time I upload a video. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Stalker Stories. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that there will be no more ads within this video. When I was about 17, I worked as a hostess in this restaurant and bar. If you have ever seen the movie Waiting, that's exactly what it was like working at that restaurant. My stepbrother was my manager, and one of the kitchen workers was my godfather's son. It's important to know that my godfather is my dad's best friend. We will get to that later. It was around Christmas time, and we were all having our Christmas party at our second location, and it started at 9 p.m., Everything that day was normal for me, but I noticed my mom kind of acting weird. When it was time to leave, my mom kept trying to talk me out of going. I wasn't going to miss the party. No way. So before I leave my mom, she asks me to call when I get there and call before I head home. Which was weird because she isn't too strict with me normally. I get to the party and everything is fine until my godfather's son comes up to me and was telling me he was surprised I was there considering. I asked him what he meant and he was surprised no one filled me in on what's going on. Come to find out that that day at the restaurant, some man who was rough looking and a teardrop tattoo under his eye came in asking where I was. The staff then told him I didn't work that day and that they can't give out that kind of information. He proceeds to tell my stepbrother, the manager, that he is my long-lost father that I have no idea about him and he wants to surprise me. At this point, my godfather's son comes out and hears the conversation and tells the man that he knows my father and that I look like him. The man leaves. And I've got to say that my dad is 100% my father. I even look like the man. So, after this, they get a little worried that the man had some other kind of bad intentions and call my mother. I don't even know who that man could have been, but I know for a while I was getting random calls without someone talking. They were just breathing on the other end, and I often would feel uncomfortable out alone. To this day, I wonder who that was and what they were planning. This happened to me during my first year of university in October. I was living in the dorms and I need to give you a brief rundown of the dorms. You need a key card to gain access to your specific floor. So, even though someone on the third floor and fourth floor live in the same building, they can't access each other's floors. I had injured myself playing sports, 
so I was under orders to rest, which meant no Halloween parties for me. Pretty sad for a horror fiend like myself, but to try and make the time a happy one, I busied myself helping to make costumes for people and doing their makeup. Once I was finally finished, I packed up my makeup and decided to watch some movies in my room. A guy popped up and introduced himself. We chatted a bit and exchanged email addresses, and I walked back to my room and said goodnight. The first warning sign was that he walked into my room behind me, despite me saying I was going to walk into my room. I felt really awkward and tried to say in a roundabout way that he needed to leave, but he wasn't getting the hint. I finally had to say, you need to leave, you need to leave my room now please. I chalked this up to him maybe being drunk or something, but I did wonder how he got onto my floor if he wasn't with anyone that was partying. Before I went to bed that night, I checked my email and there were five from this creep. The first being, hey, I'm so glad we're friends, and the rest asking why I wasn't online. A few days later, I got a knock on my door when I was studying, and you guessed it, it was him. I explained that I was studying and needed privacy. He tried to walk into my room again, but I braced my arm on the frame and said firmly that I needed to study. The next day, he was at my door again, and the next. I began pretending that I was not home. Another day, there was a knock at the door, and when I checked the peephole, there was no one there, and I assumed the postman had come. I opened the door and lo and behold, it was the creepy guy. He has begun hiding from the people, so I would more than likely answer the door. I told my roommate never to open the door if he was there, and I told the people living on the floor that this guy was beginning to creep me out. So if he wanted to get on the floor, whatever sob story he gave them, don't let him on. The few days after that, I was on the bus coming home and I got a text from someone who lived on my floor telling me not to come home because the creeper guy was on my floor and was sitting in front of my door, just waiting. I went to a friend's house and spent the night, and when I got home, I was told he waited for four hours before leaving. At this point, I was getting really freaked out. A few days after that, he began waiting outside the building, and if I left, he would follow me wherever I went. I was too spineless to tell him to go away, and I tried to be more passive about it. I never spoke and never gave any indication I was paying attention, but he followed me to class, the cafeteria, and always tried to follow me home and get access to the floor. I went to the resident advisor, it's an older student that sort of watches over the floor, and told her what happened. She spoke to the RA from his floor and was told that the creep had been telling his own RA that we were best friends and dating. My RA tried to explain that I was uncomfortable, but the other RA believed him and that was that. Thankfully, one thing did deter him. He would never approach me if I was with a group of people. So my floor mates banded together. If I went to dinner, I went with my floor, and if I wanted a drink or seconds, someone had to come with me. Walking to class and even waiting for the bus was done in a group. He got onto my floor once when somebody else was coming home, 
and he forced his foot into the door to let himself in. I was hidden in another room, and when he left my door to go and sit in the television lounge to wait for me, I went downstairs and ran around to the other side of the building and got into my room before he noticed. Then the phone calls began. I never gave him my number, but he somehow obtained my mobile and room number, and at first it would be like one to two phone calls a day. Then I told him I wanted him to leave me alone. Then the calls began coming in every hour with him begging and pleading for me to talk to him. Without caller ID, I needed to answer the phone because of school and my part-time job. At this point, it was November, and I was a wreck. I was tired of having to plan going out to do simple things like going for food or walking to a bus stop. Stress wasn't helping me recover from my injury, and I was losing weight, and I just looked sickly. I went back to the RA and begged her to help me. She went to the head of the dorms and explained everything that happened. I explained how far this had gone, and my roommate told them that he had followed her a few times, demanding that she tell him where I was. I felt awful. She never told me this because she was afraid of upsetting me further, and I felt like I was an asshole for putting her through this garbage. I don't know what went on behind closed doors, from what I guess. He was told to leave me alone, and any further contact would result in him being kicked out of the dorms. There was one email where he went insane on me, telling me how awful I was. How could I do this to him? We were so happy together. Surely I was cheating on him with another man. After that, nothing. At first, when I'd seen him around campus, I would run to the women's toilet to hide. I'd seen him around town or on campus, and he'd always just stare at me. He never tried to approach me, never tried to get my attention. He just stared. I used to walk by and try to pretend I didn't notice him waiting, and I'd try and act like my heart wasn't pounding. Please bear with me. It has been a while since this memory came up. My story takes place in Florida. I was 12 to 13 years of age. At the time, I was struggling with some family issues and school bullies. So, I was in and out of school, and my mother and I were discussing putting me into homeschool. My aunt suggested a way to help me make friends and keep me in school. Girl Scouts. You read that right. Send me to the group of little girls that sells the cookies that make the whole United States fat and their mouths water at just the thought of the cookies. So I agreed because I was very desperate for friends. When I say that, I mean I talked to stuffed toys and then made up voices for them so I didn't feel alone. It's sad, yes, I know, but it was the truth. It is also very important because I want you all to know where my head was at with all of what you are about to listen to. I ended up going to my first troop meeting a week after the choice had been made, and I was super excited. Sadly, it wasn't what I thought it would be. 
The girls there, although nice, were a bit hard for me to get close to. It was a small troop of about five to eight girls, and they certainly ran in different social circles than me. Their parents were also way more gun-ho about this whole scout thing than my mother expected. They wanted this to be a stepping stone to their daughter's huge careers in college classes, etc. Anyway, after being part of the group for about two to four months, it didn't go well. The girls shunned me, and I grew even more lonely. I even decided to approach a girl, asking her why she didn't like me. She had no problem telling me, so my mom withdrew me. Another two or three months later, another troop showed up in our area, and my mother decided we'd give it another go. After all, not all girl troops are like that. People are different, and she was certain someone wouldn't want to be friends with me. She was right, really. I did end up making friends. Not the entire troop was in love with me, but the troop leader's daughter, and I had became the best of friends. Of course, my mother was thrilled. I finally had a friend and was starting to smile again. It hurts parents quite a bit to see their kids upset. Her and I did everything together. We didn't go to the same school, but that didn't matter, because we'd have sleepovers every weekend. I'd go to her house every other day after school and do homework. She had parties, lots of them. Anytime her mother thought her daughter had something to celebrate, she threw a big party for her. And being her daughter's best friend, I was always seated right beside her. It was one of the happiest times of my life. I felt important to someone other than my family, and I had a place to go outside my home, where trouble always seemed to lurk. One year turned into the second. We finished Christmas. She actually came to my birthday party, got me a gift and everything. Then things started to get weird. Because I was a year older than her, I had a bit more homework, being that I also was a grade level ahead of her. She had apparently convinced her mother to change her schools, so now she was attending mine. This was great. I, once again, was over the moon. Only sad thing was, we didn't have the same classes or the same lunch period. Well, that soon changed too. She showed up once for my lunch, and I thought that was weird. Apparently, her mother had pulled some strings, got her to lunch during my time. Didn't know the details, just know my best friend and I could eat lunch together. I remember telling my mom, and she didn't let on that anything was the matter. But later, when we talked about this, after I'd grown up a little bit more, she admitted the news concerned her. Then, though she just acted like it was the best news ever because I was happy, I started to go fishing with her and her uncle during the summer. Spent weeks over at her house with her mother and her uncle. I'll admit the uncle was a bit different. I mean, he didn't set off any alarms, but he wasn't your usual uncle. As far as our Girl Scout troop went, we became the leaders. We pushed our troop into camp trips and selling cookies more and more. It was great. I'd never been so highly regarded. The girls in the troop even began treating me like one of them. I was happy. I fit in. 
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. That ended up changing. Quite a lot, actually. Towards the end of the summer, I discovered her uncle really wasn't her uncle. More of a guy trying very hard to make her happy so he could bang her mom. He eventually stopped coming around, and her mother, I noticed, drank. A lot. And I do mean a lot. More than I'd seen any adult drink at the time. The end of summer meant our last trip was coming up the last camping trip we would get together before classes started up again. I was excited to go. My mom and I bought everything we thought I'd need, and my best friend and I jumped right into the van. I waved goodbye to my mom, and away my troop went. Now it is time to admit here that I had a love of horror stories. I loved spooky stuff and the occult, so the idea of camping trip meant campfires and scary night stories. I was super excited. Once we got to the campgrounds, I realized it wasn't going to be like camping with my family. It was a huge gathering of other troops all together, older scouts, younger scouts, and us. Of course, the older scouts told us that there were some creepy gnome or troll-like creatures near the lake, but none of us believed them. It was a fun weekend, just not the same kind of fun I had expected. I never got to tell my stories, and it was more about building teamwork and Girl Scout stuff than I thought it would be. I know, I know. What did I expect, right? You live, you learn. Anyway, the last night I decided I would tell a ghost story. I insisted on it. So, after the troop leaders went to bed... My friend and I gathered all of our troops into one tent, as we'd been separated into two, and the stories began. We each told a scary story or a funny, embarrassing one, and then I was the last to tell a tale. I told my story, scared the other girls, and we hurried back to our respective tents before daybreak. Then we all packed up and got into our rides home. Everything was fine. Till the next meetup for my troop a week later. My mother and I show up and there are a lot of adults looking very angry. Mothers, fathers. None of them looked happy. My friend's mother stepped up to my mom and pulled us aside. This is what I remember from that conversation. Troop leader. Miss Beeper, little Beeper isn't welcome into the troop anymore. Mom. What? Why? What happened? Well, it seems Beeper told a story at camp, and it has given some of the other girls nightmares. The other adult requested she no longer come to the troop meetings. What? Are you serious? It was just a story. You can't... She... She, she didn't know any better. She loves this group. This is where her friends are. Why didn't you tell me this earlier this week when I was dropping her off at your house? The troop leader shrugged and sighed. 
I took off running away from my mother and my friend's mother. I wanted to talk to my friend, to the other girls of the troop. I was going to apologize to them and their parents. Found my friend. She didn't seem heartbroken in any way. In fact, she was okay with it. My friend. I never liked sharing you with them anyway. They were stuck up and snobby and they just didn't get you. I get you. We were like sisters, so now you and I can be together more. What? But I like the other girls and being in that troop and what about when the troop meetings happen? So, are you asking me to quit the troop? I will. I'll make my mom quit too. No more troop. No, 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 no. That isn't beeper. We are best friends. Best friends forever, remember? Anyone who doesn't like you isn't a good person, and I don't like them either. It was the sweetest and nicest thing I had heard from anyone. She was so into being a best friend that she'd give up this entire group for me. I broke down in tears. I was happy. I was sad. It was a little and a lot to take in. Sure enough, the troop would be disbanded after this. It would be a month, but eventually it no longer carried on. Her and I remained friends, though. I continued hanging out with her at her house. Another uncle came into the picture. That Christmas, I spent at her house. Christmas night, her mother and the uncle let us, a couple of 13 and 14 year olds, take a full flute of champagne. I wasn't fond of it, but we felt so adult-like. The uncle kept making some rather inappropriate comments about my friend and I. Her mother became annoyed at him. They fought, and he left. The next morning was hazy at best, but I remember finding my best friend in my sleeping bag with me. It didn't weird me out. We did that sometimes, crashed in each other's beds. The next week, she called me any time I wasn't with her. Our friendship became much more creepy. The calls were every hour that I wasn't with her. She said a lot of I love yous and you are mine, my best friend, mine. I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was normal. Her mother drank more. My mom became more concerned. She had every right to be. Our sleepovers got weirder. I was waking up to always having my friend in my sleeping bag. If she wasn't there, she'd beg me the night before to lay in her bed with her. I just thought, you know, her life at home was as rough as mine. It was what drew us together. Then one day she admitted she liked me in that I like like you way. I was speechless, and because I felt I was way too young for a relationship or anything that I thought came with it, I bowed out. I told her I cared for her only as a friend. We could still be friends, but that I wasn't ready for that to change. She said she understood. Went a week without calling me. I thought I'd hurt her. I even thought about calling her up and saying I loved her too, if that was what it would take for us to be friends again. It didn't, though. I was scared to. At the end of the week, I get a call from her, and she's acting like nothing happened. We started hanging out again. 
though she kept bringing up that she felt something for me. It got to a point where she was even attempting to try physically, helping me to love her. Yeah, uh, I ended up noping the hell out of that friendship. One day, I had just enough, and I told her that we couldn't be friends anymore. She seemed to handle it okay. I mean, she cried a bit. I cried a bit. I felt so heartbroken. I was in the 8th grade now, and I honestly didn't like where we were at with all of this, and since I'd be going to a new school, I thought a clean slate would help. Some things happened to my household family-wise, and I ended up being homeschooled instead. Weeks after school started, and I hadn't heard anything from the girl, I got a note in my mailbox. There were notes every day in my mailbox now. Love letters, angry letters, sad ones. All for my ex-friend. Then, her mother began leaving letters. Not for my mom, but for me. Both of them would leave letters in the box. The ex-friend always had them buried, but the mother was pretty cleared. I'd hurt her daughter, and she was not happy. Then, phone calls started. As cliche as it was, the phone would be answered and all we'd hear is breathing. Then, they'd hang up. This carried on for six months. After three months, the letter stopped, and it was just the phone calls. We had so much going on family-wise, this harassment was fairly tame, and so we never dealt with it. After six months, it all stopped. Didn't hear from the girl or her mother again. They still lived in the same city. My mom still saw her mom around town and stuff, but they never spoke to us again. Fast forward two to three years, and I ran into my ex-best friend again. We were at the library. I was polite. She was polite. It was pretty chill, and it sounded like her life was good. After that meeting, though, the calls started again. They carried on for about a month, then stopped. Never saw or heard from the girl again. I've since moved away and everything. The only reason this memory came up was because I was on the phone with my mother the other day. She said she saw the girl, said she looked pretty rough. I felt bad, but not at the same time. So, to the ex-best friend and her stalker mother, I hope you're doing well, and I never want to meet you again. A little backstory. I'm a 20-year-old, short, petite female working at Subway, and I can't help but be nice to anyone, even if they creep me out. I feel bad, usually. After a year ago, we had this guy, maybe 35 to 40 years old, who would come in every day for lunch. He was fascinated by my stretched ears and a few piercings I had on my face and always asked, questions. He would sit down after I rang him out and watch me from his table for two hours, non-stop, just staring at me while I helped other customers. This goes on for about two weeks. Every day he would ask for my number, saying he has plugs and tunnels he wants to give me, and see me wearing them in my ears, and I always politely declined. One day, 
I'm alone in the store because my manager had to run to the bank. We were really slow that day, so I was just in the back room messing around on my phone. I heard the door chime. I looked up, and yet no one was there. Then I saw the man walk past the front of the store really quickly, like he was in a hurry. The store phone rings. Thanks for calling Subway. How can I help you? This is the girl with the nice ears, right? Um, yeah. Who is this? Are you alone in the back room right now? Are you working by yourself? At this point, I really got creeped out and knew it was him. I hung up and texted my manager the situation so she would hurry back. He called again, this time asking me very weird questions. Like, what would I do with him in a room where we were both locked into it? If I had a boyfriend, why was I playing hard to get, etc.? My manager gets back and I tell her everything. In the middle of the lunch rush, he calls again. This time, my manager answers, and to this day, she never told me what he said, but the look on her face made my spine shiver. She told him if he called again or showed up here, she would be calling the police. I thought that was the end of it, but alas, I was wrong. One week later, I'm clocking out and getting ready to walk to my car parked in the front lot, and when I look outside... I see him standing by my car, looking inside of it. I was an idiot and left the back door unlocked. I watched him crawl inside, then shut the door. The creep was trying to hide in my fucking back seat and do God knows what to me when I got in. My manager locked the front door of our store and called the police. When they arrived, they had pretty much dragged him out of my car and he was arrested. On him was a butcher knife, rope and a rag with chloroform on it. If I hadn't looked up when I did, I would probably be dead right now. This is an update to a story I had posted on the internet about four years ago. In fact, what happened was a direct result of me posting it. I've since taken it down, but I need to share what happened to me. God. Don't worry about that first story. You'll find that out as I tell this one. Let's get started. So, a little about myself. I'm 41 years old and currently working as a salesman at a retail outlet that specializes in men's business suits. The job makes pretty good money, but... With alimony to my ex-wife and child support on top of that, I seemed to just barely get by. I had just finished going through the horror of divorce, six months before this last incident occurred. I had started drinking again. Drinking and looking longingly at sleeping pill bottles and razor blades. I know what you're thinking, but I've always been too much of a coward for that sort of thing. Though I will admit... It always seems tempting, especially after losing everything I did. Anyway, as you can imagine, I was feeling pretty low for a few weeks, so I was quite pleasantly surprised when this elegant, beautiful woman about my age came into the store and began to show me some interest. 
She was dark and slim, wearing a charcoal jacket and skirt combo. Her hair discreetly dyed a bronze amber, and she had a very unassuming smile, but too blemished by laugh lines or crow's feet. I admit, I've noticed her before she approached me. I spotted her the moment she entered through the door. She seemed kind of familiar, but I wasn't going to tell her that. That's got to be the most obvious non-pickup line in the world, telling a strange woman she looks familiar. Anyways, she walks up to me with this coy smile, just showing a glimpse of perfectly white teeth and said, You probably think I'm in the wrong store, huh? I gave a little giggle, cleared my throat and said, <clears throat> I'm sorry, this is a men's clothing store, obviously, she elaborated. Her eyes were deep brown, almost black, and they were lively and active, looking up at me. Uh, well, ma'am, I said, we do have some pantsuits and some jackets for ladies if you'd like me to show you. Ma'am, she remarked playfully, do I really look that old to you? I chuckled nervously, breaking eye contact with her and clearing my throat again. God, I must have seemed like a schoolboy. I then told her, not at all, and that she didn't look old, but that I just wanted to be respectful. Her smile widened, her long purple fingernails fidgeting with her purse strap. Well, she said in a soft, heavy voice, I'm actually here to find a suit for my son. He wants a tuxedo for prom. I furled my brow. This was the dead of winter. Proms aren't usually held until June or late May, at the earliest. I know, she said, reading my look. His school is impossible. They want to hold it early so that the students don't get too distracted from their studies. My son is also too busy playing computer games to go get a suit himself and too embarrassed to come with me. So, here I am. I couldn't help but grin eagerly. Just my luck, I thought. I showed her some of our more popular items. She told me her son's size and measurements, and together we found something she thought he'd like. The whole time she sighted close to me and I could smell her floral perfume. It was soothing, and, I'll admit, I didn't make any attempt to distance myself from her. As I was bringing her up at the cash till, I told her that if anything didn't quite fit, she could bring it back in and we'd happily have it adjusted to fit her son. She gave a low, almost inaudible laugh and told me that I probably didn't have to worry about that. There were no other customers in a store then, and the other cashier was on break, so we continued to chat. She asked me what I did in my spare time for fun, and I hesitated, thinking of the rows of empty liquor bottles in my apartment and the sleeping pills next to the bathtub. Instead of answering her question, I jumped at the opportunity and asked her if she'd like to get a drink later that evening. She said something but tilted her head and scanned me with her sexy, roaming eyes. Hmm, when do you get off work? She muttered softly. Uh, at seven. The words leapt from my mouth. If that's not too late for you? No, 
she said, her pearly grin flashing at me over her supply red lipstick. That's perfect. I know a bar around this area. I'll be out front to pick you up. Great, I said. What's your name again? Andrea. Andrea, I repeated, extending my hand. I'm Andy. Nice to meet you. Naturally. That seemed to put my nagging feeling of deja vu to rest. I had never known an Andrea, or met any Andreas for that matter. But the name was fitting, and I rolled each syllable over and over across my mind, waiting for the hours of my shift to wilt away. By 6.30, we were locking up. Jane, the girl working there, was balancing the cash register when I wrote the day's records in the books. As I wrote down the total debits and credits, I could barely hold on to the pencil. I was so jittery. I know how pathetic this must sound, but it had been a while since I had been with a woman in any way. Being older and just divorced, it was hard to build up the confidence to start dating again. By seven, it was dark out. Jane walked out and waved goodbye as I locked up the front of the store. At the curb in front of the sidewalk was a small blue station wagon. Not very fancy, but I wasn't about to complain. I looked through the passenger side window and saw Andrea peering out at me, her hooded eyes meeting mine, that slight smile drawn across her face. I got in and immediately noticed how cold it was. There didn't seem to be any heating at all, and the radio wasn't even on. Strange, I thought, but maybe she lives close by. As she navigated out of the plaza and onto the road, I prattled on about the tuxedo I had sold her and how most customers said that they were really happy with it. She didn't respond and wasn't smiling anymore. I didn't think too much into it, though. After all, she was driving. It's important to keep concentration. The only thing that struck me as odd was that she had placed her purse on her lap while she was driving. Since I had to sell my car after the divorce, I was very pleased to not have to ride the bus, so I just eased back into my seat and enjoyed. I think that's the reason that I didn't notice that we had been on the road a long time, despite her telling me this bar was close by. I knew something was up after she had gotten onto a highway interchange. I looked at her very confused. Uh, did you say this bar was out of town? I asked. She didn't respond. Her eyes were glued to the road as we cruised up the ramp and onto the interstate. By now, I was getting really nervous. I noticed she took her left hand from the steering wheel and began reaching inside her purse. You really don't remember me? She asked, her voice just louder than the car engine. I giggled a little bit, but I didn't find this funny at all. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, I stammered, looking at her. You do look familiar, but... I, look, I, I know I've never met an Andrea before. I looked down at her lap, into her now open purse, and my heart froze in my chest. Inside, the taped handle held in her delicate fingers was a stub-nosed revolver. 
I squirmed in my seat as if I was going to fly out from the window, the seatbelt digging into my neck. What, what the hell are you doing? I shouted between panted breaths. The gun was now out and pointed at me. You probably don't know any Andrea, she said coldly, her voice empty, vacant. But you might remember Alicia. Alicia Moretto. Probably from the panic I felt staring down the barrel of that gun, the name didn't ring any bells. She just looked at me, those bedroom eyes now burning with hot coals. Open the glove box, she muttered in a staid voice. <laughs> what? I asked. Open the glove box, she screamed. I shuddered from the sharp change in her voice. I did as I was told. Gingerly, I stretched my shaking hand and pushed the lock button. The compartment door fell open and out spilled what had to be hundreds of pages of paper. They were all lying at my feet. She peered down in a quick glance and instructed me to read the stapled pages printed on red paper. I picked them up and immediately recognized what it was. My post of my stalker story to an internet forum for true horror stories. I then figured out who she was. Alicia Moretto, the mentally disturbed girl who had stalked me at my workplace and at my home years ago when I was in my late teens. I pleaded with her and she just hollered at me to read it. Her eyes back on the road, but the revolver still trained on me. I did as she said. It was all there. My words. How she had come into the coffee shop where I worked. How her hair was constantly tangled and greasy. How her clothes were always in tatters. How she always smelled of B.O. and Vaseline. It was all there. How she had come in every morning. How she knew my schedule and when my shift started. How my co-workers had told me that she would sometimes come in on my days off and ask where I was. How one night I had found her waiting for me at my house. I tried to swallow, but I couldn't. I was trembling and the printed out pages fell from my weak hands involuntarily. She peered over at me. I could see her from the corner of my eyes and told me to pick up the next set of pages, the one printed on gray paper. I begged her again to just let me go, and she screamed for me to read it. I picked them up, not recognizing any of the writing on it. Then I realized that these were comments people had written on my post of the story. Comments like, What a crazy bitch, or I would have been so freaked out by that cow, or Hey, I'd still hit it, lol. Tears had started streaming down my face by the time I'd realized what this was. She had found my story, recognized it, and had come for me. Please, I said to her, choked up, having read all the comments and realized her purpose. I didn't know it would upset you this much. I, I never used your real name. Do you think that matters? Her voice cracked. It was like an animal growling at me, all the prior sophistication and sensuality gone. I knew. 
I knew that story was about me, about a time in my life I was ashamed of. She trailed off. It sounded as though she had begun to sob. I look at her and her mouth was hung open, as if in a silent scream. Her eyes squinting closed. Yes, she too was crying. After a terrifying moment, she gave a cough, tossed back her hair, and was once again icily composed. I looked close and could just see smudges of mascara under her eyes. She then told me to reach inside her purse. I, of course, wasn't about to do that. I won't shoot you if you do exactly as I say, she said in a calm but uneven voice. The voice smacked of the psychotic desperation of the girl who had pestered me those many years ago. I nodded my head slightly, then quickly turned to glance out the window. It was now very dark outside, and there were a few other cars on the road. Careful not to brush up against the gun, I reached over and put my hand in her purse. Inside, I found what felt like a set of Polaroids. My skin waxed cold, imagining that these were probably photos of me she had taken without my knowledge. I pulled them out and looked at them. They weren't pictures of me at all. The first photograph was of a couple standing outside a wedding chapel, the woman smiling radiantly in a white lace gown the handsome, mustachioed man next to her wearing a black tuxedo and a cummerbund. They were close and holding each other's hands. I flipped through to the next photo to see the same couple kissing with their eyes closed, a sun setting above a glimmering ocean behind them. I flipped through, and in the next photo, I saw the woman lying in a hospital bed, covered by dark green surgical sheets, holding a newborn baby. The child was wrapped in a blanket, the husband standing beside them, smiling. I flipped through and saw a couple of the photos with two preteen children sitting on a beach wearing jean shorts and bright-colored shirts, smiling up into the camera's point of view. I then realized these family photos were of her, Alicia. She had a family, or had a family, but what did this have to do with me? I, I, I don't understand, I mumbled. She shot me a look out of the corner of her eye and didn't say anything. I looked out the window and saw there were no lights on the streets of the road. Past the shoulder, there was nothing but tall trees and bleak wilderness. We were now far, far from any major city or town. I thought about reaching in my coat for my phone, but knew that if I did... She might have shot me. Then I started wondering why she didn't just kill me already, if that was what she intended to do. The minutes felt like hours in that car. The darkness beyond the roadside seemed to stretch for an eternity, like I had woken up in hell. Finally, after God knows how long, she spoke. It took me ten years, she said, her voice straining, quavering like that demented girl I remembered. It took me three years to get over you and another seven to forgive myself. I went to counseling, therapy. Eventually, I agreed to take the medication. You see, I suffer from paranoid schizophrenia. 
It runs in my family. But it didn't appear in me until about five months before I met you. My parents had just gotten a divorce. Dr. Walton told me that's what exactly triggered my breakdown. Then, when I saw you, it was like you were there for me. My psychiatrist says I was using you as a misplaced source of love, love and security, which I felt had been torn away from me by my parents' divorce. You were always there and always so polite. So I mistook your politeness and charm for love and affection. At that moment, I don't know why, but I didn't feel scared anymore. I just felt gloomy, depressed. We often call people crazy, but when we actually hear the medical terms, it becomes a lot less distant, a lot more real. She continued, So, for ten years after you, I avoided people. I didn't see friends. I barely spoke to my parents, and I absolutely never went out on dates. First, because I was still in love with you. And then because I was so ashamed, ashamed and afraid I would become that super attached psycho that I had been with you. I wanted so many times to contact you and to apologize, but my counselor and the Dr. Walton were adamant that would be a bad idea. They said it would cause me to relapse. So for 10 years I was alone hating myself. Then I met David. David was a graduate student in university studying physical geography. He had approached me first. We met at a bar or restaurant, actually. My parents had insisted on taking me out for my birthday, and he'd asked the waiter to put our bill on his tab. She then gave a sorrowful laugh, a tear tumbling down her cheek. <laughs> he barely had enough money to pay for this beer, and he wanted to pay for a whole family's meal just to speak with me. We started out just as friends, and then, with this instance, we became more than that. I loved him and felt so much better. I finally felt well enough to go back to school and complete my degree. We got married shortly after he graduated. He'd been hired on at a consulting firm, so we were mostly stable. I forgave myself and forgot all about you, but I never told him. Never. A year into our marriage, we had Aaron, and two years later, Cassandra. We were both so happy. I was happy. I got a job as a typist at a law firm. It wasn't much, but it gave me something to do after the children were old enough to go to school. I liked working there. Everyone was so friendly and helpful. One day, Mark, one of the law firm support staff members and faculties, was showing me this website he often goes to, mostly to look up funny pictures. He told me about this page that has scary stories and creepy encounters, and I immediately recognized what most of the stories were about. I searched all the posts, and it didn't take me long to find one that was familiar. Two 
familiar. I knew that it was you who had written and posted that. She then stopped and let out a heavy sigh, her moist eyes rolling up and looking long at the car roof. It was as though she could not believe she was telling me this. Her voice had stopped, sounding like a nervous psychotic and more like a sobbing distraught woman. The gloom lingered thick inside the car, over both of us. After that, my paranoia and anxiety spiked, she continued. I tried to fight it by upping the dose of my medication, but that didn't work. Pretty soon, I just stopped, since they only seemed to make me drowsy. She then gave another humorless laugh, as though she'd caught herself in a lie. <laughs> you know, I thought it was because David had seen the post that he left me and why I couldn't even get joint custody of the children, but that's not true. <laughs> the truth is, seeing your post made me act erratic. I started throwing fits, fighting with him for no reason, shutting out the children and beating them over things that weren't their fault. I had stopped sleeping at night, believing the next-door neighbors were spying on us and plotting to come in and steal everything. It was because of me that David left, and I acted that way because of your post. I was now staring out the window. I could just make out open field in the distance with the slightest smattering of brush. Where the hell was she taking me? I couldn't forgive myself, she said. I know now that I never will. I gulped and asked, How did you find me? She smiled maliciously in my direction, amused by my discomfort. One of the criminal lawyers at my firm, Mike Corson, has a team of private investigators. I do paperwork for him, so I forged a memo asking one of the B.I.s to find your whereabouts. It didn't take long. I knew your full name, where you had once worked, and where you grew up. I was, of course, surprised you still live there after all these years. Her smile was now spiteful and mocking. That and her last comment made me look away, slightly galled. Of course, when Mike found out about it, I was fired. Misappropriation of the firm's resources. It didn't help. I was already on thin ice for obvious reasons. The road we had driven on had disintegrated into a rough path of scrappy concrete. It was as though we had gone back in time to when there was nothing but dirt and jungle. I actually started worrying that if we drove any longer that that road would stop, or we'd be stranded in the desert. Regardless, she drove on, the car swaying and lurching over the craggy pavement. I looked at the clock on the dash, and the green numbers revealed 12.03 a.m. We had been driving for hours. Another hour passed with nothing, just silence. I started absorbing what she told me and felt this weight form in the pit of my stomach. I had caused this. I had ruined her life. And for what? 
a little bit of attention on an online forum? Jesus. The episode hadn't been that much of my life, and for God's sake, she was schizophrenic. The whole damn thing now seemed sleazy, and, well, I no longer felt scared. I wasn't frightened at all. I just wanted to make this end. By 1.15 a.m., she slowed down. We pulled over, parking on a gravel shoulder by a vast, empty field, the car sitting perpendicular to the road. When she killed the engine, her headlights died, and it went all black beyond the windshield. My eyes adjusted, and I could just make out the black shape of the field beneath the lighter shade of the starless night sky. We both sat there, not looking at each other, like we had just fucked for money. She didn't move, didn't stir, the revolver still trained on me. I'm sorry, I said. My voice was damp and contrite. I know that what I did was wrong. When I met you, it was a moment when you were most vulnerable, and it was wrong for me to take advantage, even years later. She didn't look at me, didn't move, but I knew she heard me. Go ahead, I then said to her. Kill me. I deserve to be hurt. I deserve to die. I... I don't want to live anymore anyway. Just then, she straightened in her seat, still staring out into the field before us. No, she said huskily. You deserve to feel what I feel every day. I then heard the hammer click backward and watched as she opened her perfect mouth and stuck the barrel inside. I shouted and lunged toward her, but bang. There was a flash and I saw spots. My ears were ringing and blocked like I was underwater. After about a minute, my eyes adjusted. Then I started stupidly surprised by the sight of the woman's mutilated face resting next to me in the car. The interior was splattered with her blood. My hand groped endlessly for the door handle, finally finding it, and I fell out onto the pebbled ground from the passenger side. I got on my hands and knees and puked my guts out. After I stood up, I doubled over and dry heaved for several minutes. From there, I walked the shoulder, not thumbing, not trying to get home, just trying to get as far away from Andrea, or Alicia, as I could. Eventually, by daybreak, someone driving a rusted pickup pulled over and asked me if I needed a lift. Still shaken and exhausted, I approached his passenger side window. Once I was a foot away from his truck, I saw his face drain pale. His pupils shrink into the sockets, and in one hyper movement, he grabbed the gear stick, put it into drive, and sped away. I stared at the fleeing vehicle, confused, then looked down at my clothes. I was, of course, covered with blood. I took off my jacket and shirt, wiped down my face, then tossed them, continuing the rest of the way in just my undershirt and slacks. About two hours later, someone picked me up and drove me as far as the next major city. From there, I took a bus home and called in to work sick. Quick update. 
About a week after the incident, two police officers came to see me at my home. They asked me about my relationship to the deceased, Alicia Moreto Lipman, and I told them the whole story. They informed me that they had found Google Map printout of my address and a PI file of my name at the scene. They tried to get me to go downtown with them, but I refused and called a lawyer. My new lawyer, Mr. Michael Corson, who agreed to represent me pro bono, told me there's no chance of a charge of murder being brought against me. The evidence of possible foul play is pretty thin. My story, although incredible, makes enough sense, and the police are happy to write her death as a suicide rather than spend endless man hours in OT investigating a homicide. Corson recommended me to be a better matrimonial lawyer, and I got my alimony reduced and received more time to see my kids. I also entered AA, where I have started to get over my self-destructive thoughts and behavior. Don't get me wrong. I feel horrible about what happened to Alicia. And her last words do stick with me. But, I mean, how far does guilt get you? And that, dear listeners, brings it close to these true stalker stories. I'd like to thank the reformed members of the channel. Howler's mom, Tina Mead, Seven, Luz Crispin, Tammy Slayton, C.A.G., Denise S., Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Norman D.W., Chrissy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's niece. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.